For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. And when Taigen is ready, he'll begin the Dharma talk. So, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, I'm Taigen Layton, the guiding Dharma teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I want to welcome Professor Kathy from the McCormick Seminary in Hyde Park and all of his students. Um, and I want to make some form announcements before I begin. So this is partly for Professor Kathy's students and hopes that you may return for future events, but also for our regular participants uh, that um, when you uh, enter this, the screen, uh, and particularly this is for during meditation, um, that you bow and then turn to the side. So please don't stare at the screen during meditation. Um, the exceptions are uh, the, the Zoom host and uh, Ancient Dragon Dharma teachers maybe uh, facing the screen or guest teachers. And I want to also mention some, something about Zazen, just a posture, uh, just a Zazen posture reminder in our Zazen meditation. We do emphasize posture and sitting upright. So uh, please um, have the back of your neck straight and don't I'm exaggerating but don't have your head facing down like this or up like this but um, with the with the head straight um, and earphones in your ears if you have them um, although you don't need those for meditation um, looking down at a 45 degree angle so again you're not chin not upward down. So thank you. That's for, for everyone um, for, as reminders. I want to talk this morning about faith. And faith, faith in Zen practice, its role in Zen practice. So uh, faith for us is a kind of activity a kind of, well, a kind of posture, a physical posture, a mental posture. Faith is not belief in something, in a deity or a dogma. So I'm talking about faith in, well, particularly in Zen, but in, you know, and I'll come back to Buddhism generally. Um, but, we're not, but faith is not about something else. 
It's not belief in, um, again, some dogma or doctrine. It's not belief in some deity. Uh, it's, an, it's a way of being. So um, words that um, maybe are more uh, complete translations for us, there is a Chinese character that means faith, but it really means trust or confidence or uh, commitment. Often uh, faith is uh, described in terms of vow, practice of vow. So um, uh, it's um, how we carry ourselves and see the world and and, uh, a support for that. The Chinese character for faith is a person next to their word, the radical for person and the radical for word. So it's standing by your word. There's one way that we might understand faith um, in the Buddhist perspective, in the East Asian perspective. Um, again, not belief in something else. Um, so, you know, during this past challenging year, it's uh, many people have suffered horribly um, with COVID and other medical issues, with economic issues, loss of jobs. This has been a difficult year. And even for those who, who, who are privileged to not have uh, some devastation, uh, this has been a difficult year. So faith is, is very relevant. And still, we're not finished with the pandemic and all the other pandemics, climate crises and pandemics of racial injustice, all of these uh, situations that beset our world, how do we find our confidence, our faith, our trust, our commitment to continue our practice? So in the practice we do here is... uh, Sazen meditation and Zen in the tradition of uh, Ehe Dogen, the founder of what's now called Soto Zen in the uh, early 13th century. And I'm going to talk about some of his writings about faith. Uh, But again, faith is not about fixing problems. It's not calling on some uh, other super being to fix things for us. Faith may be helpful. In in fact, faith is helpful in terms of how we may be helpful and how we we may receive help. This practice of trust, of commitment, of caring, that is faith, uh, helps us to be available to the world and to ourselves and to our deeper selves. This is how to find our way to persist, how to find resilience in a difficult world, but also within our own personal uh, problems, our own personal patterns of greed or grasping, of anger, of confusion. How do we respond from a place of trust and faith? How do we trust something deeper? 
that's not separate from us. This is the way, this is what faith is about in, uh, in Zen practice. How do we find ways to support each other? How do we use our commitment and trust to be helpful? So this is a big question. Um, one of Dogen's essays was called Deep Faith in Cause and Effect. So this is about actually trusting the world, trusting ourselves, trusting reality. Cause and effect is um, the basis of the Four Noble Truths, the the basic teachings of Buddhism, that uh, our actions have effects. And everything that happens in our life and in the world is a product of various causes. So to have faith in and trust in cause and effect is uh, the basis of our uh, ethics, actually, that we uh, realize that what we do has an effect. So we need to be attentive and careful and trust. So this, none of this is separate from this, this deeper faith and commitment. Uh, so I'm using the word faith, uh, and Buddhism uses the word faith in a way that's different from how it is uh, often thought of in, in, in many Western contexts. So uh, there's also faith that arises from zazen, from this uh, upright sitting meditation that we do, where we just sit upright and pay attention to thoughts and feelings. Don't get don't get obsessed by them. Just let them go. They come again. Be aware of our sensations as we are sitting upright. Be aware of physical sensations. Be aware of sound around us. And especially we we focus on our breathing sometimes just to be aware of inhale and exhale and to enjoy our inhale and exhale. This this practice uh, is the source of faith for us. we can connect with some greater wholeness. So we have faith in cause and effect, but also faith in something that goes beyond uh, just the the phenomenal world. We have a sweet gain through us in a sense of, of something that goes beyond, of something ultimate, some ultimate awakening. So doing this practice, we are part of the uh, bodhisattva way, caring about the situation of the world, trying to support everything to awaken. So we will chant at the end the four uh, bodhisattva vows. Beings are numberless, we vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, we vow to end them or to cut through them. Dharma gates... Gateways to the Dharma are boundless everywhere. Teach it, formal teachings and informal teachings. And we vow to enter them. And Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to realize it. This 
practice of vow is, is the practice of faith, that we, um, we don't, again, faith doesn't mean that we call on something else to fix things, but that we realize that there is this um, deeper sense of, uh, I would call it wholeness, this greater wholeness. And it's, it's always available. It's always there. So I've talked about the first, very first time I had Zazen instruction for my first teacher. And um, I had this experience of, oh, it's okay. Uh, so often people come to practice because of some problem in their lives or problem in the world. I was actually in a pretty uh, good place in my life uh, when I had my first Sazen instruction. Of course, I had problems later on. But this this feeling of, oh, okay, I can just sit upright and be here and and be here and just be here. And something is okay. This doesn't negate all of the different sufferings of the world that we have to attend to in our bodhisattva practice, but also there's something that goes beyond. And knowing that or having some glimpse of that gives us a kind of sense of possibility, of commitment, of vow, of trust that allows us to be more effective in being helpful with ourselves and with all beings. So, of course, there are some forms of Buddhism that seem like they are uh, talking about faith in something else. Uh, in Pure Land Buddhism, um, which is, goes back to India, but is, is the, maybe the dominant form of Buddhism in Japan, the various Pure Land schools, they call on Amida Buddha. They call the name Namo Amida Buddha. One of the diff- many, many different Buddhas that are part of our tradition and, I, you know, it may be that people who do that are calling on Amida Buddha and feel like Amida Buddha may come and help them. But it's deeper than that. It's about just um, being in connection with Amitabha Buddha, the Buddha of great light. So our uh, faith is about a sense of connection, a sense of wholeness. A, a possibility of practicing kindness and caring and awareness and going further and, and deeper in that. So our practice doesn't end with this faith. Part of our faith is Buddha going beyond Buddha, as sometimes Dogen says, that whatever awareness or understanding of awakening we have, there's more. There's more in terms of all the situations of the world and whatever pandemics may come after this one um, and the difficulties in, in the world but and in our life. How do we respond to that? Another branch of Buddhism that uh, seems like it's... Uh, about faith in something else is uh, the Lotus Sutra schools, the Nichiren schools in Buddhism, where they call Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, calling on the Lotus Sutra. The Lotus Sutra is also very important in Zen, 
Um, and it's okay if you want to sit down the middle and go, even in the middle of Zen, it's fine. Um, and if you want, and, and in Zen, actually, in our Zen liturgy and in our Zen practice, we often call on the Buddhists and ancestors. And we tell story of, stories about the Zen ancestors and stories that uh, support our practice now. We also call on the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and the many Bodhisattva figures like uh, Guan Yin or Kanon, the Bodhisattva of compassion, who listens to the suffering of the world and responds with various tools and, and various perspectives. So it's not, so uh, again, faith is an active practice. It's not just uh, calling on somebody somewhere else or something somewhere else to help us. It's um, it's something active. It may be, and, and popularly in some of the faith schools in Buddhism, you know, maybe people think of it that way, but really that's not what faith is about in Buddhism. So I want to read... Um, And I I look forward to your comments and questions and discussion, but I want to read uh, some passages from the chant that we're going to be chanting at the end of this, Ehikosu Hotsuganmon, which is uh, Ancestor Dogen's words for arousing vow. And in Zen and in Buddhism, faith and, and, and vow, arousing vow, uh, often is... Uh, connected with arousing faith. They're, they're kind of similar. So I'm just going to read some of the passages in this chant that we're doing later. Um, Dogen starts, We vow together with all beings from this life on throughout numerous lifetimes not to fail to hear the true Dharma, the true teaching, the truth about reality. Hearing this, we will not be skeptical and will not be without faith. So... Uh, when we receive, we could say the Buddha teaching, but teachings of awakening, any teaching of that is helpful. Uh, how do we develop this uh, this trust, this commitment, this faith in ourselves? And you know, this faith is is connected to well, in Sangha, to the people we practice with, but um, the beings around us, family, friends, uh, how do we find trust, even in really difficult times? It's difficult. It's hard. Many people are still suffering. It looks like the pandemic will be over. People are, uh, I've received two vaccines myself. So I'm happy that, and many of us have, and I'm happy that this pandemic may be over in the foreseeable future, and we can go out and hang out together again. It's been a long year. It's a strange time. I wonder if there will be great literature or films or poetry about and I'm sure there already is, about what this is like to be quarantined for a year. 
So we have this Zoom screen and we can, I can see all your faces. <laughs> it's neat. <laughs> and actually, you know, we, uh, as you know, we lost our physical temple up on Irving Park where Professor Kathy has been, maybe some of the students. Um, it just wasn't COVID friendly. And we are starting a process of looking for another larger space that will be more more amenable to future vaccines, future uh, pandemics. Um, so it's been over a year since we met in person. It's, uh, it's strange. And yet uh, this Zoom world that we are all now in has had its benefits. People from all the way down in Hyde Park can come without having to find transportation. <laughs> and we have people from, we've had people from, uh, I don't know, a couple dozen different states. Nathan's here from Michigan. Hi, Nathan. Um, and we have uh, regular participants from Argentina and from Israel. And anyway, we, we actually are through this Zoom event we are deep, more deeply connected with many beings. More people are part of our Sangha. And when we find our new temple, there will, we will continue to have uh, this online presence that allows people to come from a distance. Uh, going back to um, Ancestor Dogen's words for a rousing vow, uh, he says... Although our previous evil karma has greatly accumulated, producing causes and conditions that obstruct the way, may the Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and liberate us from our karmic entanglements, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. So this is about faith. And he's calling on the Buddhas and ancestors and in our uh, Scriptures, we have Buddhas from many different dimensions, many different solar systems, uh, from Buddhas and Bodhisattvas popping out from under the ground. Um, Buddhas and, and uh, Bodhisattvas everywhere to help us and for us to support, and also ancestors to look back and be inspired by. Our, our great Zen ancestors, we sometimes chant their names, but also the ancestors of um, culturally who support us in our various activities. So, but he talks about our previous evil karma greatly accumulated, producing causes and conditions. So part of the practice of faith is to be willing to look at that, to trust that we can do that, to trust that we can see all of our different graspings and anger and aversion and know how to respond to them without being caught. This is a big part of the work of Zen practice and the faith of Zen practice. So, um, and then at the, at the end of this chant, Dogen says, quietly studying and mastering these causes and conditions, one is fully informed by the verified Buddhas, 
So faith includes allowing ourselves and each other to be informed, to be confirmed, to be aware of all the Buddha beings in our world, on our seat, <laughs> all around us, this this uh, awakening mind that is always present and that we need to actually engage. It's not enough to think that it's, oh, oh it's there, so I don't have to uh, do anything about it. This is, again, this faith is active faith, active practice. With this kind of repentance, Dogen goes on, and talking about the importance of repentance in our practice. So we'll chant about the ancient twisted karmas after this. Uh, With this kind of repentance certainly will come the inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors. So a big part of uh, faith in our Zen practice is that there is this inconceivable guidance. In one of his writings, Dogen talks about how the person in Zazen and the environment, grasses and trees, mountains and rivers, and even fences and walls, things that we may think of as inanimate, support us, and we support them. This is a a, a radical claim. He says it's inconceivable. We can't understand it with our conceptions, but um, this is Dogen's claim about Zazen, and I think many of us get some sense of that, that the world offers us support, and our practice supports the world in ways that we don't necessarily, can't necessarily be aware of. Then, Dokken says, confessing to Buddha with mindful heart and dignified body, this upright mind and body, the strength of this confession will eradicate the roots of wrongdoing. This is the one color of true practice, the true mind of faith, the true body of faith. So our our faith is about facing the reality, acknowledging the reality of our limited human awareness and habits, but also... uh, with this sense of this awakening heart that goes beyond. So this is a little bit about faith in, and what faith means in Zen particularly and in Buddhism. Uh, of course, there's always much more to say. <laughs> and of course, whatever we say doesn't get it. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we babble, you know, I sit up here babbling on anyway, um, sometimes. But I'm going to stop now. And I want to welcome your comments, your responses, your questions. So, uh, David Ray, would you help me? Uh, people who are visible can just raise your hands. You can also go down to the participant window and click on that and... Uh, down at the bottom of that, there's an option to raise hands. So you can raise your hand that way, or you can raise your hand uh, physically. And 
uh, I want, I'm really interested in your comments or questions or responses to this uh, Zen way of understanding faith. Please feel free. And seminary students are welcome to ask questions too. This may not be how you think of faith particularly. Again, I have a question. I can't call on myself. Yes, you can. <laughs> oh, well, as a Zoom host, technically I can't. But um, I'd like to ask you about the catechism skepticism. You know, in, in Western thinking, there are lots of different versions of it. And somebody might say, well, Buddhist faith sounds, sounds pretty skeptical because it doesn't invite me to, you know, uh, as it were, believe anything on faith or, you know, assent the truth value of something that I, that I don't know. So I'm guessing that the thing that's translated as skepticism probably means something a little different from what I might be thinking in, in Dogen's text. Is it like, is it negative kind of skepticism or, or something else? Yeah, um... So part of our faith, and thank you, this reminds me of an important piece of this, part of our faith is is questioning. So don't take what I have said about faith on faith. <laughs> Please feel free to qu- ask questions. Uh, and part, a big part of our practice is that we have questions. And the whole, and the body of Zen literature, all those teaching stories and the koans are about uh, students asking questions to their teachers or teachers asking questions to other teachers. So yes, questioning is important. Uh, and even in some, uh, sometimes some doubt, maybe, but um, there's different kinds of questioning. So I wrote a book called Zen Questions, which talks about this at great length. But, so you can look at that. But the questioning is, is, is our, our faith that we are willing to question where we don't believe something because we hear it in some Dharma talk or we read it in some sutra. We, uh, Buddhism is very uh, empirical. Does it work in our lives? Uh, but there are different kinds of questioning. So skepticism, skeptical uh, questions are questions that, um, maybe um, uh, take away our faith that make us feel like our our commitment, our vows, our practices is not helpful, that there's nothing we can do, that that uh, you know the it's easy to feel like the world is such a mess now that it, there's nothing helpful to be done and so forth. And again, faith is not about knowing that we will fix things, but things. But our our positive activity and our positive awareness does have an effect. So it's fine to question this. In fact, we need to question this to develop faith. But and faith includes this kind of questioning. But skepticism here is skeptical faith. It's, there's a particular Sanskrit word for this. Uh, I forget exactly. Vitarka. I'm not sure. Maybe he'll get to us. But um, it's uh, uh, debilitating questioning. Questions, uh, questioning skepticism is uh, questions or doubts that kind of 
uh, demean us. So uh, that's my response. So Eve's hand went up, and then Laurie let me know that uh, she has a question who gets it. So Eve, I think, was first. Yeah, I want to know more about the demeaning thing you just said. And I guess, I guess, I think what I've been looking for is faith that the small things matter. Um, the, the things that we can control. I, I mean, I, I have a running, what feels like disagreement with, with one of my colleagues, um, about systems thinking and, and because she seems to think that, I mean, the only kind that matters is when you put, you know, people in a room from, from different sectors, you know, education, um, jobs, health, all that. And, and you have the power to, to get people to caught, you know, to talk at that kind of high policy level. And, and I'm, I keep feeling like, well, you know, we're not all in a position to do that. And um, a lot of the, you know, tools I'm interested in are more looking at, um, you know, what people can do like inside an organization or in inside a team or, or, you know, for that matter, like, I mean, I can control how I respond to something. I, I can't control what anybody else does. And Right. Eve, if I may, I think I get your question. Yeah. So that's a question. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you started off by asking, well, what about the doing the small things that we can do? Do they have, do they matter? So the skeptical or de- demeaning kind of questioning would say, it doesn't matter what I do. Nothing matters. So deep faith in cause and effect is that everything we, every action we do, everything we say, all of our thoughts do have an effect. This is kind of basic law of cause and effect, the basic law of karma. And of course, we're not, it's not just about our personal karma. So we're all beset now with the uh, effects of many causes in our society. So we have a common uh, karma, collective karma. But yes, the, the, to your basic question, as I hear it, is that yes, we, the little things we do have an, have an impact. And, we don't, and usually we don't see them. And thinking that, oh, if I do this good thing, uh, there should be some uh, visible effect. That's not how it works. Change happens uh, thanks to many, many, many causes and conditions. Suddenly, peace breaks out, or suddenly the Berlin Wall comes down, or apartheid ends, or gay marriage is allowed. Uh, all kinds of things happen suddenly thanks to many, 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 many causes and conditions. So each thing that we do, and this, you know, this applies to our personal life too, has an impact and we can't track it. We, it's inconceivable. We don't understand how, sometimes it's obvious. There's some, there's something that happens and there's an immediate effect that happens sometimes, but most of the time we just don't see it. But faith is faith that even the little things we do have some effect. And if and all of us working together have larger effects. So thank you for that question very much. Uh, Hogetsu had a question or comment? Yes, thank you, Tigan. Um, 
I couldn't find my hand. I apologize for that. <laughs> That's all right. I, <laughs> I guess I just, I, I have a hand here. Um, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for uh, bringing up the Ehe Koso Hatsugamon Dogen's vow. And I've often wondered about this line, you know, although my past evil karma, what, what is evil like in Zen? How is, how is that understood in, in, in Zen in particular? Well, there's, yeah. And this is my translation. If I was doing it again, I might find a different word <laughs> because, you know, there in the, in, in the process of translation. So I've done a lot of translation of Dogen and other Buddhist texts that um, it's challenging because words we use in English like faith have a different meaning for in much of how it's understood in the West and Western religion than what I've just been talking about. Right. So evil the same way, there's no original sin. There's no, you know, force of evil in the world. There's no Satan, according to Buddhism. There's Mara, who's the spirit of temptation. It's different. Uh, So evil here means harmful or maybe very harmful, uh, destructive. Uh, It doesn't mean, so, so, um, and there is a Chinese character that could be translated as evil, but but in terms of Buddhist and Zen ideas, it means something that is that is causes great harm. It's not some. It's not some. At some, it, just like there's not a, a, some deity to call on. It's not some, you know, external force, Lucifer or Satan or whatever in the West in some Western uh, traditions. Uh, it's not. It's not some absolute evil. It's just uh, very harmful causes and conditions. And to confess those is to acknowledge them. And then the practice is, well, what do we do to help make, help use uh, our awareness of that to be helpful? How do we, how do we help rather than cause further harm? Does that cover your, your question? I think so. I, you know, like I thought about how does, because sometimes a word like unwholesome comes up Good. around karma, but but evil is I don't see it very often, and I and you know other people have translated uh, with this word evil in that position. So I was you know it's just interesting to me. Yeah, unwholesome is another word for this, but not maybe not strong enough, <laughs> you know, and and that Chinese character. Is, translate, is translatable as evil, but not it's not evil ontologically in, in uh, you know, the Western sense. It's just really bad actions or thoughts or, or speech. Hate speech, you know. Hate, hate speech that encourages uh, uh, terrorist activity against certain beings or people. That's, it's that kind of thing. So we could say that's evil, but anyway, it's not about some evil being somewhere out there in the world. So thank you for your question. I think Nicholas was next, and then Danushka. Okay. Nicholas, hi. Nicholas, you're muted if you're speaking. 
and I can't see you, but I, I want to hear your question. Hi. Good hey, morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for your talk on faith. Um, I, I wanted to say something because uh, one of the gifts of the pandemic for me has been um, an increase in my ability to have faith. And, um, you know, I worked in an industry that was decimated by the pandemic and um, felt uh, for many months that uh, my entire life was circling the drain. And uh, the only thing I felt uh, that I could do was turn to the practice. And so that's what I did. And I just really um, dove into, you know, more Zazen on a daily basis than I've ever done in my life. Um, other practices as well. And um, felt like the only thing that I could really offer my future was my spiritual fitness in the here and now. And, um, and so that's what I did. And slowly by slowly, you know, step by step, things started to work out. Programs started to open up, you know, um, everything started to shift, you know, over time. And, and as I was, um, available because of, my practice, I was able to, you know, access a lot, a lot of help. (laughs) Um, and, and that, that, you know, so that it's, uh, and that it wasn't about me fixing anything. So, you know, I've been a fixer my entire life, fix myself, fix other people, fix, you know, just fix, 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 manage and control. You're the one. And so, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so what I realized that was that I'm really not doing anything ever, you know, and, and it's just, it's a whole delusion to think that I'm doing much at all, frankly. Um, so, and it was just, it's just been so great to really deepen my trust in that, in, in the process of that I am, I'm a part of nature and that I can just, focus on being awake and everything will take care of itself. Thank you so much for your talk. Thank you, Nicholas, for your testimony. Um, Part of faith in, in cause and effect is faith in change. There's one way in which everything is permanent. We're just, we're just here. And, but that permanence includes that um, events and phenomena shift and change and move. Rivers and mountains flow. Um, so, uh, stead- so being, so faith is about being resilient and steady. And then, when the flow of change appears, we can respond from a place that's more settled. So thank you very much, Nicholas. I'm glad you're doing better. Uh, Danushka? Uh, yeah, thank you for your wonderful Dhamma. Uh, 
I am Danush Kadilishan. I am from McCormick Theological Seminary, and originally uh, I am from. Uh, please, please speak more slowly. I can't follow. Yeah, uh, originally I am from Sri Lanka. Uh, thank you for your wonderful dhamma. Uh, I have uh, two questions based on uh, faith, especially uh, Buddhist faith. How uh, in uh, Buddhist faith connect with what is secret? What is sacred? Secret, yeah. A secret. Yeah. And the second one... Wait, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't sure what the, that word was. How does Buddhist faith connect with what is sacred? Is that what your question is? Secret, yeah. S-E-R-C-R-E-T. Oh, secret. Yeah. Oh, oh good, good, good. Yes. And yeah, the that's other important. One, the, good. The, the, the other one, how uh, does uh, uh, Buddhist faith tradition view the religious others? What do you mean by religious others? Other religions or other faith Oh, oh good. Inter- interfaith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, two good questions. So first, um, there's a branch of Japanese Buddhism called Mikyo, which is about um, so, so, yeah, so secret, sometimes it's translated to secret or mysterious teachings. Um, faith is, is an important question. Thank you. It's, and, and thank you for asking it. So it helps me clarify something that faith goes deeper than just, you know, the, the physical phenomenal world as we understand it with our limited human capacities. When uh, Dogen talks about inconceivable guidance, he's talking about this. So there are branches of Buddhism called Vajrayana, which are about um, uh, this kind of what's sometimes called hidden practice. Uh, And faith is uh, very much connects with uh, these non-apparent events or activities or realities in the world. This is in some ways the heart of faith that we see that there is, that we trust that we're committed to something that goes beyond what is obvious, what we think is the reality based on our just limited human uh, capacities. Even if we're very well educated and very smart and very, you know, uh, not, you know, knowledgeable about a lot of things, there's a limit to what we can know given our human limitations. But faith is trust that there is something deeper. And we have a sense of it. We get glimpses of it. Or sometimes we get very clear visions of it. But faith or commitment or vow in this sense that I'm talking about in Buddhism is is exactly about being open to that. So thank you for your question. It's... and. you know, secret is one word. It's also that which is mysterious, that which is, um, uh, that goes beyond. Um, so, um, yeah, esoteric is a word that's used. So uh, our, our our practice and, and Soto Zen practice is very much is connected to this mikyo or esoteric background of all of Japanese Buddhism. And, and, of course, it goes back to uh, original Buddhism, too. Uh, the, the Buddha would not, did not answer some questions because uh, they weren't 
particularly relevant to practical helpfulness. But um, he didn't deny that there are deeper realities. And in the Mahayana Bodhisattva Sutras, there are many uh, uh, fascinating visionary examples of uh, Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, awakening beings, other beings who, who exist in other dimensions that we are not aware of and come to hear the Buddha. So, yes, the, that which is, quote-unquote, secret is very much part of what are we trust and, and, and part of this faith that I'm talking about. So thank you for that question. Um, your other question was about uh, relating to other um, kinds of teachings. And, uh, you know, I, so I can't speak for all of Buddhism, and uh, for even for all of Soto Zen, uh, but uh, even though I'm an authorized teacher in Japanese and American Soto Zen, uh, but yeah, uh, in the modern context, we are very concerned with interfaith work and connecting with other spiritual perspectives. So I'm very glad that Professor Kathy is here with his uh, students and uh, from, from a different perspective and listening to our perspective. But that doesn't mean that I don't respect other perspectives on what is reality, what does it mean to be helpful, how do we see the deeper realities. So uh, especially now with all of the uh, hate speech that's part of our culture, uh, hate uh, attacking Muslims, attacking uh, Asian Americans now, of course, attacking black people. Uh, uh, it's so important that we talk together from different uh, spiritual traditions. And we don't have to, you know, this is a practice engaging with, with spiritual others. It's not that we, ha- we are trying to persuade or conver- convince or convert others to agree with our perspective. It's about listening to the plurality of perspectives. And I have been a a professor of uh, history of religions and taught about other religions. And in uh, in others, I find, personally, I find in other spiritual traditions and in other branches of Buddhism, uh, things that are very valuable that help me help inform what it means that I'm a Soto Zen teacher. So listening to each other is uh, an extremely helpful practice. And it's part of a deeper faith that, that our faith is not as opposed to other versions of faith. So thank you for that question as well. Paul MacArthur has a question, and then I see Jenny's hand and Juan Pablo's hand. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, thank you for um, your teaching on faith. Um, you mentioned that the world offers us support. I'm taking a very interesting course called For Spirituality. And uh, forest? I'm interested forest. Forest spirituality, forest. yes. Yay. Um, I'm interested in how Buddhism addresses the connectedness of humans to nature. We are required in this class to practice connectedness to trees 
and we uh, were asked to find five tree friends and visit them five times before May 1st. Um, I visited twice and uh, we are to view the tree and then listen to the tree uh, to see if it's talking. Um, and, and I'm now hearing the trees talk. So um, how does Buddhism address this connectedness? Wonderful question, and that's a wonderful practice. So I would encourage all of my students to go out and befriend trees and listen to five trees. I'm not very good at foreign languages myself. Um, so, you know, I don't know that I would understand the language the trees speak to us with, but I know that they speak to us. So Buddhism particularly is non-anthropomorphic. It's not about human beings. We talk about all sentient beings. And sentient is a, is a, is a controversial word. So we know now that, far, that trees and forests are uh, intelligent, that, within, that forests are a, 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 um, an ecospecies that actually have um, awareness and that trees of different species actually within a forest uh, connect with each other and um, there's wonderful, wonderful information now about how, uh, well, some of it is through fungi on, on, under, uh, I forget the term, that, there's, that there are channels of communication within a, in, within a forest, maybe between different forests, where trees can actually give information and support and listen to each other. So part of what, uh, so Dogen particularly talks about Buddha nature, and he talks about all beings Buddha nature. And so um, Buddhism generally, and, and Zen particularly, is, again, not about just human beings. Of course, it includes human beings. Here we are. We're all, we're all more or less human beings, so we pay attention to what you know, goes on with human beings. But uh, um, Buddhism, going back to its very beginning, the Buddha sat under a Bodhi tree and awakened. And uh, one of the stories about that is when uh, he saw the morning star, he touched the earth. And the earth witnessed that he was, yes, an awakened person, awakened, awakened one, a Buddha. And sometimes it says an, uh, uh, an earth goddess appeared to, to confirm this. And there are practices of, in Buddhism of planting trees, very important, and of actually in, uh, uh, I think in Thailand, there have been monks who uh, ordained trees, made trees, priests or monks, and, 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 and robed them uh, to prevent loggers from cutting them down because the loggers were nominally Buddhist and they wouldn't, they wouldn't cut down a tree that was actually <laughs> a monk. Uh, so uh, there's a long, long, long tradition in uh, Buddhism of connecting to uh, uh, all beings beyond um, all sentient beings, of course, animals and plants that we now know are intelligent and sentient and even mountains and rivers. So one of Dogen's famous 
text is the Mountains and Waters Sutra, where he talks about how mountains flow. And uh, so, yes, uh, this is very, very basic to Buddhism. And, you know, it's related to faith because uh, our commitment and our vow and our trust in reality in Zen practice and in Buddhism is that we are connected to all these beings, including the trees around us, and that they support us. One of Dogen's first writings, he talked about when one person, just to paraphrase, when one person sits in Zazen, even for a little while, all of reality awakens, including grasses and trees, uh, mountains and waters, the earth, and fences and tiles. So our connection to the phenomenal world is essential to our practice. So thank you for your question. I could keep talk. I could keep uh, talking about this for some hours, but uh, I'll stop because there are other people who have comments or questions, including Juan Pablo, who's an expert in uh, forest um, uh, forest awareness. But I, I think Jenny is first. So Jenny, you have a comment or question. Yes, thank you. Um, You used a phrase in your talk that really caught my imagination, and that is Dharma gates. And so I was wondering if that is that it just anything that points you along the way of the Dharma, or is there something more specific about that? Thank you for asking that. Yeah. So in some versions, it's just, you know, Dharma teaching sutras are uh, boundless. We vow to study them. Excuse me. Um, But I think we understand that more widely. So each situation can be a Dharma gate, can be a gateway. Dharma means the teaching, specific teachings, Buddhist teachings. It also means truth. It also means reality itself or the truth about reality. So for Nicholas, the pandemic has been a Dharma gate. It's helped support him in his practice. Uh, So uh, if we look at trees as uh, an opportunity to understand deeper reality, the trees are and the forests become a Dharma gate. So how do we live in our world and use any situation that appears and any difficulty that appears as a potential Dharma gate? potential gateway to Dharma. And aren't the name Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, which is uh, the name of our Sangha, uh, is comes from a an old Chinese story uh, or well account that there were uh, in a, I forget which river it is. Maybe it's the Yellow River in China. In a particular river, there was a gateway at the bottom of the river. And when fish swam through that gateway, they would emerge as dragons. That's one Dharma gate. And, you know, I, I, we use that name for our for our temple because... I'm not, I don't know. It hasn't been verified, but you know, I, I I wonder if there might be similar dragon gates in Lake Michigan near us in Chicago. So, there so are yes, disappearances there. There might be. 
Yeah, and and uh, fish emerge as dragons, which are great beings to support in in Asian culture anyway, not necessarily in the in in Christian lore, but in Asian culture, dragons are great beings who help support uh, the teaching. So, thank you for your question. Uh, Juan Pablo is next. Yes, hi everyone. Um, <clears throat> I have three points that I want to share with you. Uh, one is about uh, the practice of sasen and faith, because um, sometimes we believe that we, when we do meditation, it's not related to faith. But I remember one Tibetan teacher that I had that he he was explaining a little bit about Mahamudra and Sokchen, which are Tibetan practice is very related to Shikantasa, and he said the deepest faith is in Mahamudra and Sokshen, and it's very different from some uh, characteristics of what some 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 scholars call Buddhist exceptionalism or, or Buddhist modernism, who relates meditation to science. So this is the first point I wanted to make, you know, and the second point is that you say that our practice, we are supported by the world, from the world to our practice. But how do you see our practice supports the world? How, how that is connection made? And, um, and the third point, it's about skepticism. I don't know if you, if you know that skepticism was... Um, uh, Greek school, Greek and Roman school in, in ancient uh, philosophy. And I think it's related to faith because uh, when, when we consider or practice not related to some certainty, but to faith, we are open that there are other gates, there are other ways. So I don't think a skepticism diminishes or, 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 I don't know, or, or practice or, or, or faith. But I think a skepticism is healthy to, to know that there are other ways. We, are, we don't have certainty in our practice. We are open to see other ways as possible. So that's my, that's the third, third point. And the last one uh, about forest spirituality, there's one beautiful book about, uh, from Richard Powers called the other story, which I strongly recommend. So that's all. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Juan Pablo. Uh, and Juan Pablo particularly is a um, uh, great scholar of uh, forest spiritualities and is coming to us from the southernmost part of Argentina. So it's great to see you again. I want to respond to your last question first. So um, this is a problem of translations. If you use the English word skepticism, um, I'm trying to translate a particular Buddhist uh, asp- uh, uh, issue of uh, doubt or questioning, or it goes it goes back to uh, Sanskrit. Uh, so I don't mean to connect that with what David Ray can tell us about the, uh, the Greek uh, or Roman uh, ver- versions of, of the school of skeptics. 
so again, this is a problem of translation. It's always, it's always a problem. Any English word you use has all these overtones in our Western culture. <laughs> so, um, but um, going back to Zen questions, yes, exactly what you said. And I, and I don't associate it with skepticism, but just questioning that, that questioning is an essential part of faith in terms of the, the faith I'm talking about, that we have to wonder and question, and we don't learn anything uh, uh, if we don't question. So, go, so going to your first question of, um, about science and, think, and talking about Zazen, you know, there are people who uh, are tracing the, the neurological patterns in our brain when we do meditation and all of that, but that doesn't negate um, <clears throat> questioning. In fact, Science is exactly about questioning. Science is about, um, you know, you, the scientific method is about making hypotheses, about uh, having theories, but then testing it empirically. And so um, to me, that's exactly what faith is about in terms of the faith I'm talking about. It's not, it's not contrary to science. It's about looking at re- looking at reality looking at um, awareness looking at how we function helpfully in the world and so we try things so uh, I would you know one one uh, analog to science in Buddhist teaching is skillful means uh, the Lotus Sutra is a big source of that, but skillful means is that we try things, trial and error, and uh, for different for different beings, for different people, maybe for trees, for forests, for mountains, different teachings may be helpful. Uh, so we have to uh, look at what is skillful, what is helpful, what helps to foster awakening, to foster liberation, to foster kindness and compassion. And we try different things and some things work and some things don't work. And then we try other things. So that's the practice, the Bodhisattva practice of skillful means. So I think that's very much related to scientific method, to looking to see how we understand the world. And science is supposedly objective, but actually in science now, Heisenberg Principle and other other uh, scientific um, current scientific awarenesses uh, have shown that when someone observes a phenomena, it changes the phenomena. There is no outside objective ultimate phenomena that we are, um, you know, relating to. Our engagement with reality, according to science changes the reality. Uh, the observer of a phenomena changes that phenomena, how that observation works. This is a, a, a quote-unquote scientific analog to the very process I was talking about in, <clears throat> in Zen of inconceivable guidance. We are supported by forests and trees. We can be informed by forests and trees. We don't know how that works exactly. Scientists are actually developing some awareness of how that works and how 
how uh, trees in, in a forest uh, communicate or inform each other. Uh, but yeah, so it's, science is not contrary to the kind of faith I'm talking about. And then you had another oh, question about supporting the world or being supported by the world. And I think that goes back to what I was just saying, that our engagement with the world changes us as well as our engagement with the world changes the world. So we, if we're questioning and, and listening to the trees and to other people, we start to, we become more informed about ourselves and about reality. So thank you very much, Juan Pablo. There are a number of other questions. Um, I, I don't know if there's anybody who's raised their hand visibly that I might have missed. David Ray, do you? Joe Kai and then Chris, I think. Okay. So Joe Kai, your turn. Good morning. My question is about the role of teachers in faith and how far as a student that faith should extend to the teacher. Should we have complete trust in everything that a teacher's doing? Or, I mean, if, if we're not having that complete trust, I guess, how do you uh, continue that sort of relationship where it kind of requires like a, like a really uh, robust kind of conversation between uh, the teacher and student? How do you, yeah, uh, I mean, could you just elaborate on the, on that role of faith in the student teacher relationship? Thank you for that question. Yes. Um, so um, it's, it's uh, in, in Zen particularly, it's important to um, have a teacher. Um, and um, we have many practice leaders and uh, uh, officially uh, sanctioned Dharma teachers at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate and uh, Douglas, who's not here today, often encourages people to uh, contact info at ancientdragon.org and, and ask for discussion. Um, again, it's not what we might call blind faith. It's a mutual process, teacher and student. It's about being open to um, listening, to giving feedback. So my job as a teacher is to give a f- feedback to students when they're uh, leaning one leaning too far in one direction or another, to put it that way. Uh, another way to think of teachers is spiritual friends. So it's not uh, that's more the way I think in in Zen, as opposed to you know a kind of guru model, which happens in some uh, branches of Buddhism. Um, but we've seen in the West that that blind faith, to put it that way, a blind trust in teachers uh, is not so helpful. So if anybody has questions about what I'm doing or what I've said, I, I encourage you to ask me. And, and so uh, my, my position as teacher means that I'm available to receive feedback, but also I uh, check with you if you're available to receive feedback from me. It's, uh, so this idea of spiritual friend is, a, is a, an old model in Buddhism of um, what a teacher is. And again, it's not 
faith is like in total belief. It's not a matter of anything I say, you should just assume that's true. You, just like in uh, scientific method or, uh, you know, to see if it works for you. So I hope that's responsive. Anything else, Jokai, for follow-up? I mean, and if, it, if it's... <clears throat> no, no, that, you answered my question. Thank you. Okay. Um, uh, I don't see any hands up. So, Chris. Oh, wait, uh, Chris, yes, go ahead, Chris. <clears throat> Thank you, Diane, for your dharma. I wanted to mention something that Brian Taylor said in a talk recently and about faith that I found helpful and wanted to ask for your comments that faith is more than a thing is really a verb. It's an action. So rather than faith, it's faithing. Likewise, I I don't have sit, I'm sitting. I don't have zazen, I'm practicing zazen. So that the activity of it, faith, rather than something that I have, I think is helpful, at least for me. And I would appreciate your comments. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. So um, I like gerunds because they're active. Um, so faith is not a thing to get. Faith is not some object to acquire or to act on. Yeah, it's, uh, as I tried to say at the beginning, active faith. It's an activity. It's a way of being. Uh, so, uh, yes. Uh, ha- and, and in fact, in in Buddhism, there are no there are no now there are no objects. Uh, again, this is all of this has to do with how do we translate different traditions into different languages where there's a where the new new language has various biases. So faith is an activity; it's not something to uh, to to act on. Um, Japanese is kind of cool this way because any noun you have, you could add saru at the end and make it a verb. So uh, 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 I forget which would be the Japanese word for faith, but uh, shin is the Sino-Japanese. But anyway, uh, faith saru means to do faith. So Japanese is is very convenient that way. Not that that's always how it's uh, act, how it's used, but yeah, everything we think of as a thing is actually alive. That's part of the point. And that goes back to Paul MacArthur's question about trees and about um, the so-called, the so-called uh, not, well, non-humans, the, um, the non-anthropomorphic aspect of this, which is that everything is alive. The mountains and what and rivers, uh, you know, are, are we've already confounded our sense of intelligence by learning about the awareness and communications and interactions of trees and forests, as in the book *The Overstory*. But um, and and more nonfiction scientific books that have come out recently. But um, everything is like that. So yeah, to. Uh, to go and find a tree that you can commune with and listen to. I would say if you find a rock, uh, you could 
listen to that rock. Rocks may have stories to tell us. One of the things that nice things about the Zen rock gardens in in uh, Japan is that you can see rocks that have obviously been through some stuff, and uh, you might listen to them too. But of course, we also listen to each other as human beings, because most of the time we're just human beings. So, yeah, thank you for that, Chris. Uh, Eva Marie. Hi, um, thank you for your Dharma. Uh, I have a question regarding meditation. Um, is it different from the Mahayana tradition? Is it different from Theravada tradition or other uh, Buddhist tradition? Or is it like just one one way of doing meditation? Or is there are several steps? Thank you. Yes, so the practice we do here coming from the Soto Zen Japanese tradition of just sitting includes many of the other kinds of meditations. So there are whole huge libraries full of different teachings about meditation. (laughs) And there are different branches of meditation within Buddhism and different approaches and different approaches are, are helpful to different, to different people. Um, so, um, and part of that is the intention. So in Mahayana Bodhisattva meditation, we're, uh, sitting with all beings to, to benefit all beings. Of course, we're part of the all beings. Um, there's, uh, in Theravada, it seems like it, the primary, primary, um, Direction is personal liberation, and that's very important. That's part of our tradition, a part of our zazen as well. So anyway, there's, there's, uh, I can get technical about this. There's, in, technically, in uh, uh, Soto Zen, our zazen is objectless meditation. We're not focusing on a particular object. We're just sitting and being present. Thoughts and feelings come and they go. Uh, we pay attention to it all. We're not trying to reach some particular objective either. We're just aware. We're just paying attention. Uh, whatever's going on. If we're sleepy, we pay attention to that. If our mind is racing around, we pay attention to that. We breathe and we let go of whatever thoughts and feelings. And so anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's the objectless meditation that is the ideal in Soto Zen. But practically speaking, there are libraries full of meditation objects, samadhi objects, concentration objects. Uh, the breath is a good one. Um, just physical sensations is another. Uh, sound is another, ambient sound. Um, but also uh, mantras or lines from the teaching we can use. And I encourage people, to, even in our zazen, to use those when they're helpful. Without... Um, you know, focusing on them. So um, there's one more question, and then I want to start wrapping up. So Krista? Hi, thank you so much for your dharma. Um, I was wondering in regards to meditation, I know you were speaking about chanting um, and then also calling on the Buddhist ancestors. Yes. Is that is that a sense of like 
chanting the names of the Buddhist ancestors as well? Is it something that's done specifically within meditation? Is it done outside of meditation? Um, and how is that practiced outside of meditation, if so? Um, well, I wouldn't say it's outside meditation, but formally it's after. So what we do and what we're about to do, after meditation and Dharma talk, we will do a particular chant. Today, the Ehekosu Hotsuganman that I spoke about, uh, and we will um, uh, we we do those chantings, and there is, there are chants where we name the Buddha ancestors going back to Shakyamuni, up through uh, Dogen, uh, and actually to Shunryu Suzuki Roshi, the founder of our branch of Zen in America. Uh, so we have we do have those chants, but we also have we have many many other chants. So if you go to Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. And I and look for chants in the sidebar. I think it might be under teachings. You'll find many different chants that we do. And we do those after meditation. But it's not separate from meditation. It's not other than meditation. So um, thank you for that question. Um, and I, I think we should close. But I since there are all these people visiting us from... Uh, Hyde Park and from the McCormick Seminary. Is Brian still here? Oh, no, he's he's not. Okay, well, I want to mention that, and I'm not sure if I see anybody else from the from our Hyde Park group, but we have a Wednesday afternoon um, uh, event. It used to be before the pandemic in Rockefeller Chapel, which those of you in Hyde Park know. Uh, now it's online, and you can go to our it's uh, every Wednesday, I think, from five is Zazen, and then there's a talk at six. So uh, for for our Hyde Park visitors, I just want to mention that there's a there's a different Zoom link. But if you go to our our, our website um, and look for Wednesday, you'll find that. So thank you all. Um, please feel free to come again. Uh, we will now, uh, David Ray, if you would lead us in in uh, chanting. Thank you. Thank you, Taigen. Um, I will mute everybody, if I may, so that we can all chant, but not uh, that the unison doesn't work uh, during Zoom. Um, as I mentioned, I have new um, new chant texts. Let me see if I can make these both be full screen. Um, if if I may, I'll just mention that there are two mudras or hand positions that we use during the chant. One is gasho, and it looks like this. And the other one is is called cosmic mudra or buddha mudra, buddha mudra, and it looks like that. Uh, one one set of um, fingertips is under the other other fingertips, and then the two thumb tips are are touching each other. I just thought thought I would mention that in case these are new to people. David, if start I, with David, yes. if I may, uh, just to add about those two mudras, the important point about the cos an important point about the cosmic mudra like this, is that you hold it against your abdomen, not out in front. Uh, so that helps with the meditation. And uh, that picture isn't really the best for the, the gasho. Uh, the, the way we do it in our tradition, the hands are, the fingertips are at nose height and just apart from, uh, hands width apart from our face, and we bow like that. So thank you. Thank you, Taigen. I'll keep searching and find a, find a better gasho picture. Thank you. And we begin with the repentance first chanted three times. 
All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Ehe kosu hotsu ganmo. We vow together with all beings from this life on throughout numerous lifetimes not to fail to hear the true Dharma. Hearing this, we will not be skeptical and will not be without faith. Directly upon encountering the true Dharma, we will abandon mundane affairs and uphold and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And finally, together with the great earth and all animate beings, we will accomplish the way. Although our previous evil karma has greatly accumulated, producing causes and conditions that obstruct the way, may the Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and liberate us from our karmic entanglements, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May the merit and virtue of their Dharma gate fill and refresh the inexhaustible Dharma realm so that they share with us their compassion. Ancient Buddhas and ancestors were as we. We shall come to be Buddhas and ancestors. Venerating Buddhas and ancestors, we are one with Buddhas and ancestors. Contemplating awakening mind, we are one with awakened mind. Compassionately admitting seven and accomplishing eight, obtains advantage and lets go of advantage. Accordingly, Longya said, what in past lives was not yet complete, now must be complete. In this life, save the body coming from accumulated lives. Before enlightenment, ancient Buddhas were the same as we. After enlightenment, we will be exactly as those ancient ones. Quietly studying and mastering these causes and conditions, one is fully informed by the verified Buddhas. With this kind of repentance certainly will come the inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors, Confessing to Buddha with mindful heart and dignified body, the strength of this confession will eradicate the roots of wrongdoing. This is the one color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith.